Welcome to the Future Me podcast, a place for upskilling ambitious women. I am your host, Alicia Jade, and I'm thrilled to bring you today's episode. Thanks for listening. All right, everyone, welcome to the Future Me podcast. My name is Alicia Jade, and I'm so incredibly excited to be bringing you our first episode. So this is going to be our first episode off the bat, um, and I'm really keen to get a really deep dive into emotional intelligence for all you ambitious women out there, um, in which we are aiming to help upskill you in all things human skills. And so that first, uh, our first season will be around uh, emotional intelligence. We're going to dive into a whole lot of different topics around uh, self-awareness, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, uh, motivation, learning. But I'm really excited to be able to speak to Ross today, who uh, Ross is going to be uh, opening up this segment for us. Um, So uh, Rosalind Cardinal is actually an accredited emotional intelligence facilitator. Um, She was trained under Susan David, uh, author of Emotional Agility and a TED speaker. Um, And from this, she's actually developed her own model and assessment Uh, for women's leadership and is very well known in the industry. So thank you for your time today, Ross. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm um, honestly the first time meeting you and obviously hearing your personal story of, of where you've been to where you are now. Um, you're really, really, really someone that I completely admire. You know, I really love, you know, the, the struggles that you've been through, but the way that you've come out of it and now how you share and impact um, your story into other people's lives is incredible. Um, now, I know that we're coming up to Christmas time because we'll be posting this in and around December time. Um, and I'd love to, yeah, I know that we just kicked off and we just kind of just started talking about family, but um, what, what's general Christmas like for you and your family? It's actually, it's lovely. It's a really nice family time. I've got uh, family all over the Australia and we get together. It's uh, usually at our place, which is great because, um, you know, it's kind of a bit more central. So I'm expecting my dad uh, on the 18th, my son on the 19th, and my daughter and her partner are here, and my stepsons are here as well. So yeah, expecting oh a lovely, really, really nice family Christmas. It's always that's, pretty laid back. That's beautiful. And and you're down in Tasmania, right? That's correct. Yes, in Hobart. Oh, beautiful. I've got a friend down there. She just um, uh, was uh, on Bruni Island yesterday. Yeah. I can yeah. see Blooming Island out of the window right now. Oh, can you? Oh, yeah. gosh. Absolutely amazing. No, Tasmania is an absolutely beautiful little um, escape away. So people have be quite nice to have um, all your family come down. So yeah. um, wishing you all the best for your family and, and this Christmas time. Uh, but I'd love to know, please um, share with us a little bit about you, um, how you kind of got into becoming an emotional intelligence um, you know, speaker and, and obviously impacting other people's lives with that. Um, tell us a bit about you. All right. Well, I guess I'll, well, I guess going back, I have always been interested in human beings and how they tick. So I started my career in human resources in about 1986, which is making me feel really, really old right now. (laughs) But, you know, it's, um, so I sort of was in HR as a generalist for a number of years, and then I switched to learning and development, which is really the field of, you know, helping people grow. And from there into organisational development, which is a bit more sort of organisationally focused than individual. And really what happened for me, the big thing that really changed my life completely was a cancer diagnosis in 2010. Up to that point, I was a senior manager. I had a great job, but I was was working really hard and I was probably spending a lot more time uh, focusing on my career success than I was on me. It was, it's a typical woman thing. We tend to put ourselves at the bottom of the heap 
you know, everyone else comes first, you know, work and then family and then all these other things. And then we're kind of, you know, right down the bottom. And the cancer diagnosis really, it threw everything on its head like you imagine it would. It's something where as soon as somebody says to you, you've got cancer, you just assume you're going to die. That's the very first thing that springs to everyone's mind is, is that's it, I'm done. And the thing that really washed over me was these enormous amount of regret about things that I hadn't done and hadn't achieved and, you know, and I know that for a lot of people, um, when they get seriously ill like that, it, it gives you an awful lot of time to reflect. And I don't think there's anybody who would say, I wish I'd spend a lot more time working. It's about all the other things in life, the, you know, the experiences and the connections are what really comes to mind. And I'd spend a lot of time, you know, pushing really hard, working really hard, uh, driving myself, you know, quite probably almost even viciously for success. It was, you know, I have to achieve and I have to be seen to be achieving. And I had experienced a number of career roadblocks that I'd sort of fought my way through. And so I was very geared to this sort of fight, push, shove, you know, things have to, to be sort of overcome. And then getting this diagnosis, obviously, I, you have to take time off for treatment. So I had about six months off work where I wasn't able to do very much. And, you know, radiation treatment is pretty awful. I was lucky enough not to have chemo. I didn't need it, but I had three operations and then um, radiation treatment. So I spent a lot of time just resting. You know, there wasn't much else I could do. I just rested. I read books. I watched trashy TV, just, you know, hung out with myself, essentially, <laughs> which was probably, it was a really good thing because it made me really reflect on what I wanted the next phase of life to be like. Once I realised that, you know, this was manageable, it wasn't something that was going to kill me, uh, it was just something I had to get through. It was then all, I, I really sat down and redesigned my life. I made a big list of, like a bucket list, all the things I wanted to do and then set about doing them. I said to my husband right at the very beginning, if I get through this, I want to start travelling because we'd always had reasons not to. We had a farm, we had lots of animals, we had the kids. It was just always too hard. And so we always kept talking about one day we're going to start travelling overseas and we never did it. So that was sort of a non-negotiable for me. And then in coming out of the recovery period, it was really for me about designing the life that I wanted. And as a result of that, I quit my corporate job and started my business. The emotional intelligence accreditation, like I said, I'd always been really worked in the area of, you know, how humans tick. So the EI accreditation was the first one I did when I, I started my own business. So I headed off to Melbourne and spent, I think it was about four days with Susan, getting accredited in the tool and understanding how you know, at a much deeper level, how AI worked. And it really helped me as well. It was that sense of um, helping me unpack my motivations and what was happening in my head and why it had been so difficult for me to let go of the drive for success and reframing all of that for me. So it was a hugely beneficial thing, not just for my work, but also for me as a person. Fantastic. Your... The story that the journey you've been on is is absolutely incredible, and I think you know to to get that moment of reflection. Sometimes it's it's so hard when you know. Sometimes you have to have some people have to have almost hit rock bottom in some way or shape or form to say, "Oh my gosh, life is so short." Um, you know, but I've actually often wondered how how do we get everyone to have that moment, like you know, that they don't have to you know go through that hardship. But you've just you've come out of it super strong, and I think your family and your kids would probably look up to you quite a lot. What what did they say when you did that massive shift of actually this is what I want to do in my life? 
It's, um, it's been interesting. Certainly my kids have all sort of felt that it was really quite inspiring for them. And for them, I mean, they've grown up um, around things like values and motivations and, you know, emotional intelligence. And it's just been really interesting watching them grow and thinking about, you know, for me too, it's one of those things where I think, I wish I'd known what they know when I was their age. I've seen them make some really fantastic values-based decisions around what they're doing with their lives, which has been wonderful. So it's been fantastic to influence them in a really positive way. Um, my daughter is actually, she works locally in Hobart and she comes along to everything that I run. So every time I do anything, <laughs> advertise anything, oh, she's like, Mum, can I come to that? <laughs> oh, that's so good. So she's learning and growing and it's been, yeah, it's been really great. It's one of those things where it um, changed my life and it changed the lives of my family as well in a lot of ways. It was, you know, and you're right, people sometimes have to hit rock bottom. I get coaching clients who come to me, usually not with a really serious illness, but it's around things like some real crunch in their career or something that's happened where they've had some really devastating feedback, for example, where they've suddenly realised they've got to turn things around. Yeah. Now that's, um, and, and we all go through it, right? I think it's, it, it, we get to that point. It's, you either have people that have that general self-awareness that can kind of sort of steer the ship a little bit or um, some other people, like I can, I can definitely imagine some in my family where they have to hit the, um, they have to touch the hot stove before realising that it's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I think it's, uh, but look, I mean, we're all on a completely learning journey. But I, I know that, um, so thank you for being vulnerable to share that. I really, really appreciate that um and i think that you know um i'm really excited to sort of dive into emotional intelligence um to gain your understanding so uh, please let us what's your sort of definition of what is emotional intelligence i really like the mayer and salovey definition so they're the originators of the emotional intelligence theory and they talk about it uh, basically about problem solving with and about emotions which i think is really lovely it's that sort of sense of um, you know, bringing emotions into our problem solving. It's that sense of being able to understand what's happening in our emotional space and use that information as part of our, it's like a piece of data when we problem solve. We tend to want to, well, a lot of people want to push the emotions aside and just make decisions using logic and fact. But when we recognise that emotions are a big part of, um, you know, a big part of decision making, we take them away and we remove, remove the humanity from the decision. And I just love that sort of definition of, you know, really just problem solving with and about emotions. Yeah, that's really, I, I like that. Nice and short, sharp, simple and sweet. Is it, do you think that there is a lot of like leaders coming that are out now, I guess a new wave of leadership that, that are more emotionally, have a lot more emotional intelligence or do you think we're still quite behind in the eight ball? What have you seen with some of the people you've worked with? It's a, it's like any skill. It, people have varying degrees of, of ability in it. Emotional intelligence is something we, we learn. It's quite actually quite easy to learn. It's one of the things that surprises people is how easy it is to actually learn how to do it. And we learn it in childhood from being from role modeling. It's like any skill. It's like if you grew up with a dad who was a carpenter who spent a lot of time making things by hand, you'll probably know your way around carpentry tools. It's the same kind of deal. And um, so it, the answer is it really depends. I think as a society, we're valuing emotional intelligence a lot more in the workplace now. Certainly, if you look at the baby boomer generation, it wasn't something that was considered to be important or valuable, whereas now we're valuing it more. So in a lot of ways, people who have it, are it's more of an, I was going to say socially acceptable skill, but that's not quite what I'm looking for. It's that sort of sense of it's actually valued and people, it, it's being seen as important in the workplace in a way that it probably wasn't 20 or 30 years ago. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because I was at my um uh, for those who know that I do have a full time job um in in insurance and the organisation that I work for I was at a uh, LinkedIn Learning sort of uh, workshop you know how how to use LinkedIn Learning and um one of the top three uh one of the top three courses people are looking at is um how to upskill in emotional intelligence mm. uh, and when I saw that I was like oh <laughs> yes yeah, so we're on the we're on the right path to you know few people and I completely understand I, I agree like I think it's almost emotional intelligence kind of mixed in with things like vulnerability and um you know is becoming sort of more um common um I don't want to say like pop words, but they're the um, can't think of the the words, but they're just becoming um, so common in in conversations with people now. You know, it's and I think it's a good thing. You know, things like resilience, you know, vulnerability, um, self awareness. So it's really good. Um, what would what in terms of workplaces, what does uh, good and not so good look like when it comes to emotional intelligence? So um, even as a as a woman in business, um, which is the people that are listening, I'm a woman in business. Whether I run my own business or whether I'm a, a leader within an organisation. Uh, what does good look like um, and not so good? What it looks like is when you think about leaders that we've really resonated with, leaders who have been the kinds of people that we'd want to we'd want to be with, the leaders people want to follow, it's because of the, their level of emotional intelligence. It's that connection you get from them. And what good EI feels like in a relationship between humans is that feeling of being heard and valued. It's that sense. And how it actually works is it's the leader who's emotionally intelligent. First of all, they've got a really good grasp on recognising emotions. So they can see by looking at their team what's going on. They can see by looking around the room that people feel disappointed about this decision. Or they can see that people are actually really feeling quite energised about the vision that we've just presented. So from there, they then know how to deal with, you know, what's, what's actually happening. So it's almost like they're reading people really well and they can pick up on the unspoken. And when people do that, if somebody says to you, hey, are you okay, you don't look great today, you do get that sort of feeling of, wow, somebody gets it. Somebody cared enough to ask, but they actually saw it in the first place. Whereas people with lower levels of EI often don't see the emotional tone of the room. And it can become really incredibly useful for leaders uh, in things like decision-making. Being able to look around the room and go, I've just told the team about this decision, I can look around the room and see if they don't agree. And then we need, we've got to do some more talking. We've got to do some more listening. We've got to do some more consulting here. Um, as opposed to looking around the room and going, people are totally on board with this. And it's that sort of disconnect between what we, what we say and do um, physically as opposed to what is actually going on in the emotional realm. And just to give you an example, I remember being in an executive team meeting once where we'd, I can't remember what the decision was about, but it was one of those really big things for a business. It was a new direction. And everyone around the table signed on and agreed and said, yes, they're going to do that. And I was walking out of the room behind two of the general managers and one turned to the other and said, over my dead body, I'm doing that in my division. You know, yeah. <laughs> and being able to sort of read that sort of tone and be able to see, you know, in the room that there were people who weren't buying into that decision would have saved an awful lot of hassle because then we could have sort of circled back and gone, actually, we need to do some more work here. It's not quite there. Um, the other thing where I see it play out too is leaders who say to me, because I get a lot of leaders coming to me for coaching with issues with people, and they'll say to me something like, you know, my best person resigned yesterday and I, I never saw it coming. I'll be like, wow, okay, you never saw it coming. And they'll say, well, yeah, six months ago they said they weren't happy, but, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And it's that being able to sort of track that emotional health of your team and know how people are feeling and what's going on for them. It's all that unspoken stuff. And that's what really connects us with people and makes us a resonant leader. 
that sense that people want to be led by you because they trust you, they feel safe with you. And they feel safe with you because they feel truly, truly understood and heard is really what it's about. And I think, especially when you say heard, I think, you know, active listening is, is a huge piece in leadership that, you know, I think, especially with us, um, our attention being, um, you know, shifted from one way to another, whether it be from one meeting to another, or even just on social media, or we tend to go straight into, um, you know, uh, the normal patterns of things going through our emails, there is that moment where sometimes we need to be very self-aware of, okay, am I truly being really present with my staff member? Like, am I truly being present with my team um, to kind of really pick up on those triggers and, and to be able to then, you know, deal with them? Yeah, that's great. And that's a really, really good um, example as well, um, you know, of, of having people sort of say outside, you know, potentially not having the, that safe space to speak up in the room. Whereas I, I feel that, you know, some of the high EI um, leaders that I've got in our organization, they, they have already created that safe space so that people can feel comfortable to say, you know, I actually don't really agree. So yeah, no, that's good. And it's also about asking people how they feel as well as what they think. So you might get a situation where you've made a decision and logically it makes total sense for the organisation. Like people might say, I totally agree logically that we need to downsize because we haven't got any money, for example. They're telling you what they think, but when you explore how do you actually really feel about that decision, that's a whole different kettle of fish. We might say yes because we logically agree, but inside, you know, when you ask people how they feel about it, they might say, well, yeah, I get it logically we have to do this, but I'm so disappointed or I feel so let down or I feel so not valued because you're telling me that I don't have a job anymore. So emotions are so, um, they're so complex and they're so part of who we are as humans, but we try to, in the workplaces, often ignore them. It's like, you know, as long as we can convince people through logic, everything's going to be okay. But if you sort of separate, you know, what you think from how you feel, they can be completely different. Yeah, wow. That's a very, very true. Emotions playing a huge part. Um, absolutely, especially in those relationships, you know, whether they're strong relationships that last a long time or whether they're just quick ones. Um, I guess talking about, um, you know, talking about sort of the, the now and, and what, what that good looks like, um, what, I guess what, what does self-awareness, um, I guess, mean to us when it comes to winning that battle of relevance into the future? So um, some of the stuff that we talk about is around, um, you know, trying to be uh, relevant uh, with all this completely changing and dynamic world that's coming about. There's a lot of conversation around us losing jobs because of automation, um, you know, nanotechnology improving, um, you know, things like that. So for us, I guess the question I, I want to understand or dive into a bit more detail with you is, you know, what is, um, what is the benefit of learning this now? And also how will that help us to stay relevant in the future? I actually ran a a winter summit in August and the topic was the future of work. So we had leaders coming in and talking about what they thought the future was going to look like in their industry. And the key thing that came out of the, all of the conversations, we pulled it all together at the end in a sort of summary was that the things that will never be able to be replaced by artificial intelligence. So things like empathy, uh, courage, creativity, imagination, those things. And those sit in the realm of emotions. They really do. Uh, it's one of those things where our logical thinking brains can probably be replaced by something else, but it's that sort of whole human emotion part. And EI, um, again, going back to the, the Mayer-Salovey model, is it's recognising emotions, using emotions, understanding emotions and managing emotions. 
And those things, when you think about it, if we can master those, we've become irreplaceable. You know, we can't be replaced. If we're working on a production line, we can be replaced by a robot. We've seen that already. We're say, seeing, you know, artificial intelligence starting to do a lot of the things that um, humans are doing right now. And in the future, they're probably going to start taking over those functions. But the bit that can't be replaced really is that what really makes us human. It's that human connection, the empathy, the, you know, I love the bit about creativity and imagination and all of those things, because those are the bits that are uniquely human. That's it. And, and it's actually creativity. It's interesting. That's only starting to come into the conversation now. Um, there's a, a chick in my team, which I'm actually excited to be able to see if she can jump on uh, one of these podcasts. She do, does a deep dives into um, creative intelligence and creative friction and how does creativity start to help problem solve business, um, you know, business problems in, you know, in the workplace. So um, it is a broad spectrum completely when it comes to um, you know emotional intelligence I think that's yeah, that's really good and I guess to know that what, what are your top tips to become um, you know to increase someone's emotional intelligence the first part of it is about recognizing emotions and that's something you can learn to do relatively easy it's about pattern uh, recognition so when you see that faces make a certain you know expression when they when we're happy you know we smile and we get crinkles in the corner of corners of our eyes you, it's just a pattern. And once you've seen the pattern, you can recognise it again in other people. So a task I give clients is to do things like watch a movie that they've not seen before with the sound off and see if they can work out what's going on from body language and facial expressions. And then, you know, watch it again with the sound to sort of see how you went. Kids love it. It's a great activity for little kids. They think it's great. Um, so things like that can help improve it. It's checking in. So I've got clients who, when they're in a meeting, they'll use the agenda points as a reminder to just look around the room and see how people are feeling. So when we've finished an agenda item, you tick it, but you also look around and just check in and go, how do I think people are feeling? There's using emotion, which is about how we use our emotions to help facilitate our work. Everyone's had that experience of sitting down to do something and going, I'm just so not in the mood for this. And we've got choices. We can put it off for a different time. We can plough ahead anyway, which is what most people will do. Or we can go, how do I shift my emotion to, be, you know, to help me perform this? You know, if I need to feel really creative, I actually need to be in an upbeat kind of mood. I need to feel very positive to be really creative. So if I've got to do a creative piece of work, how do I feel positive? Maybe I listen to some music or I go outside for a quick walk or I meditate or I ring up my husband and have a chat. It's how do we shift our mood? And then understanding emotions is understanding the nuances and the subtlety, which can, you know, again, that's a practice thing. It's pattern recognition. It's knowing that if this, you know, it's if, if this, then that. And finally, the managing emotions is, um, and I'll give you a simple framework for it. It's called going to the emotion and going through the emotion. So going to the emotion is being able to give it a name and understanding where it's coming from. And then going through the emotion is what do I need to do to feel better about this? Or what do I need to do to, to change this? So it becomes quite, you know, first of all, reflective, what's going on for me, and then action-oriented, which is now what am I going to do? So that's kind of the, the simple, I guess, the simple framework for, for EI and understanding how it all works. And like I said, it's quite easy to develop. It's something that I've coached leaders who have been really struggling in that space into becoming quite you know, emotionally intelligent in touch with what's going on in their team and become much better leaders because of it. It's pattern recognition, it's strategy, it's practice. That's fantastic. That is great. And I, I think the, um, you know, I'm going to start doing that with my agenda items now. <laughs> it's getting in a bit of a notebook because I would never have thought of being able to do that because that's super practical and super easy. Um, 
so I love that. I, and it just, you know, you were talking a bit about, you know, the wording and I, and the emotions, emotions, as Tony Robbins like to say is emotion is motion. So, you know, being able to get out, go for a walk. Um, but one of the things that I used to do uh, with my partner when we were, and there's around communication, right, too, uh, especially in relationships where you might mean one thing, but obviously you may not feel um, you know, safe enough to speak up what it actually is. Um, and my partner and I at the point, we've been together almost 10 years now. Um, and there was a point where I, as a woman, you kind of say, okay, but really it's not okay. <laughs> you may, you say one thing, but you mean another, um, yeah. you know, but then from a male point of view, uh, you know, he, he would assume that I would be okay. So we, we tried to work around it in our relationship by using the brackets in our messaging. So I'd be like, that's fine. And then in brackets, I'd be like, no, I'm really pissed off <laughs> right. to try and like, but it was a way that I could express how I actually felt, but still then, you know, sort of saying how I would want to say it, but yeah. he then kind of got the message. And I think it's, you know, it, the communication plays a huge part, but also again, coming back to what you were saying is reading the room, reading people, you know, being able to sit back, listen, observe. And I love the video, the movie, like watching a movie with no sound, like how often does someone actually do that unless they're, you know, watching subtitles, but you, you know, you can't, you know, understand the language, but you don't read the subtitles. What, you know, what tends to happen in the movie if you sort of walk away for a while, but then you might come back and, you know, there's a different scene on, but you can kind of follow on with what's happening. I really like that. That's a really good tips. I love it. I have love, love, love. That's my fantastic. Kids, my kids used to do that. Something I taught them years ago and they actually got to the point where they, they still do it actually. They'll watch movies and with the sound off and they'll actually do the subtitles. They'll actually um, dub it over themselves. What they oh, want. Really? Yeah. They're adults now. I mean, my son really good, but they'll still do that. They'll watch a movie and they'll just basically play the different characters and just sort of run the entire thing as, you know, make up their own story around what's going on. Oh, that's so good. I, I think that's a bit of a Christmas special. I think yeah. I might have to bring that up in my family <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. That's great. Yeah. Well, Something else, when you're talking about how you and your partner have now developed this sort of language, being able to, you know, put brackets mm. around it so you can say how you feel, that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> that's a great tip. The next part of it is, you know, when you think about going to the emotion and go through the emotion, you know, being able to give your emotion a name or describe what's going on and then why do you feel that way. Uh, I saw Brene Brown in Melbourne a couple of months ago and she was actually amazing. But the really big takeaway from that for me, which so applies to this, is she says, when you've got to talk about what's going on for you, start preface it with the story I'm telling myself is. Because it takes it away from you've done this or when you do this, it makes me feel into the story I'm telling myself is, the reason that this is happening is because. It's a really nice way of framing things up, I think. That's really good. I like that. And, and Brene Brown is just amazing in oh, general. Yeah. I'm very jealous that you saw her in Melbourne. <laughs> I, she's just someone that just, yeah, just a wealth of knowledge, but um, really authentic in the way that she delivers, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I think, you know, being able to sort of frame, frame your messaging, especially so that it's not blaming you know, but if, as soon as it becomes blame like you have or you, then therefore you're starting off with the person being in an away state straight away. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. What And what would be some of the resources? So if I'm now looking at wanting to increase my AI, um, what would be some of the resources that you would recommend for people to go to? And maybe if there's anything that you have. 
Uh, well, we actually have on our website at the moment, if you sign up for our newsletter, there's a free four-part um, training on emotional intelligence. In terms of resources that I use a lot, um, so Susan David's book, Emotional Agility, is fantastic. There's a book by um, Maya Salovey and Caruso called The Emotionally Intelligent Manager, which I, again, refer to quite a lot uh, in my work and refer clients onto it. In terms of learning to recognise emotions, uh, Paul Ekman, so he is a facial recognition expert. He has resources on his website, but there's also little um, courses you can pay to do, which will teach you how to recognise faces. So I use his that, that facial recognition piece in the work that I do with clients. So, you know, showing them faces and we work out what's going on because, you know, the pattern recognition thing. But yeah, you can actually do Paul Ekman's courses and he's really interesting. He's a consultant on shows like Lie to Me. So any of those shows where they've got to sort of do deep detective work into, you know, people who are lying and things like that, he consults on it. So he's kind of considered to be the facial recognition guru. So that's paulekman.com for his resources. Fantastic. And and these, I will make sure we have a list of these uh, resources um, that Ross has just recommended in the captions of the podcast so that people can go back and reflect on those as well. Um, and then you mentioned you've got your own as well on your website, which is great. So for the emotional intelligence, I'll make sure that that's linked in there too. Um, I guess before we wrap up, um, you know, our podcast today, was it, what was there any other sort of thoughts or even last messages that you would want to share um, with some of these ambitious women that are out there? I think that developing your EI is probably one of the more useful things you'll do for your career. It really goes without saying, and we, there's a lot of research around it that shows that EI really trumps, you know, IQ every time. We can teach skill, but, you know, it's a sort of emotional intelligence piece that's really valuable. Like I said, you can learn to do it. EI, if you haven't got it, it's, it's something you can absolutely learn how to do. And what it really does, I guess the key thing to think about when you're leading people is it really is creating that really safe space for people. People can flourish and thrive when they feel safe. If people are feeling unsafe, that's when you get all of that subtext underneath the surface that people won't talk about. It's, um, you know, it's resonating with people, connecting with people and creating safe spaces for teams. Because when we think about the things that we talked about being not able to be replaced by AI, they are the things that come from psychological safety. You can't be creative if you're afraid. You know, you can't problem solve really effectively if you're afraid. You can't connect with people if you're afraid. You can't have empathy for people if you're afraid. All of those things, you know, we've got to feel safe and able to, to actually enable those characteristics in ourselves. So if we want to be truly successful in the, in the future world, which is, you know, changing so rapidly and it's going to look very different even in five years or 10 years, let alone 20 or 30, it's those emotional intelligence characteristics that will serve us well. So it's about, you know, my advice to everybody is develop it as much as you can. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And, and what, what I, I guess my last, okay, I'm going to add another one more question. What does your 2020 look like? Cause obviously I know that you mentioned, um, you know, that you, that you are a cancer survivor and that was in, in 2009, no 2010, which means that next year's your 10 year, anniversary what is there anything that you have planned for next year uh we've got quite a lot planned actually i've been uh researching and developing an, a leadership assessment for women so that's um we've got about over three and a half thousand women who've taken it now so that's actually really exciting we've been moving through our research phase on that and into uh, moving it out into more of a public arena so working a lot on that we're going to be uh 
licensing a number of things that we do as well to enable other people to get accredited in those particular methodologies. Travelling again, so we're thinking about either Antarctica or Cuba in November. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was not expecting Antarctica. <laughs> no, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, always wanted to go. It's one of those things where I told you I've got a big bucket list. We're ticking things off a bit at a time. So, yeah, either Antarctica or Cuba, not quite sure yet which one. I'm thinking probably tipping Cuba because I've got a friend who went uh, about a month ago now and he said, you've got to go before it gets too commercialised because apparently it's moving away from being that sort of really traditional old, you know, really old 50s cars and tango clubs and things. It's starting to become a bit touristy. So he said, you know, go soon or, there's, you know, the old Cuba won't be there anymore. So, yeah, tossing that up. But, yeah, lots of big plans for 2020. There's a lot on. That's fantastic. I mean, hey, Cuba, Antarctica, why not both? You go- <laughs> That's, that is so good. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm excited. I'm excited for your 2020. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. Um, you know, I know that you're quite a busy person. There's a lot of people that um, want to learn from you. So um, I really appreciate the time that you spent today. Um, for those who want to connect with Ross, um, all of her socials will be connected and uh, linked into the captions below. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening to the Future Me podcast. Um, if you do like the show, please remember to leave a comment, uh, leave a review uh, and also subscribe if you would like to stay connected. Um, But please stay hungry and stay humble and I'll see you all on my next episode.